0: that first drop, you know that feeling you get in your gut? It's just uncomfortable, it hurts, it's terrifying, it's painful. It's the worst. I hate roller coasters because of that, because it's like when you know you're going up, it means you're going to have to come down. And roller coasters do that. It's this up, down, up, down, up, down, like everything about it, losing your stomach over and over. There's something about it that's nauseating to me. And camp is a lot like a roller coaster. You get this feeling in your gut. Right now we're at the top. We've been clicking up all week, feeling good about where we're at, but tomorrow that roller coaster is going to tip the peak and head back down, back down into the real world, back down into our normal everyday lives, and that feeling is terrifying. It reminds me of summer camp 2005, I don't know, it's been a long time. I was a student, I'd just given my life to Christ, and I'd gone to camp this time and and we went to a camp in Mobile, Alabama. We went to Infuge, is what it was called. And every morning we'd have a session like this, and we'd go out and we'd serve the city. And we'd come back and do activities in the afternoon and another session like this every night. And I remember being there, and I was amped up, jacked up, ready to go. I'm like, man, I'm a new person. I'm ready to go home. Like, I got a whole list of things I'm about to change. Like, I encountered Jesus. I'm ready. I'm going to witness to my friends. I'm going to change my behaviors. I'm going to get my life together, my act together. Everything's going to be different. I mean, I'm a Christian now. I mean, I've been to hundreds of camps, but this time is different. I'm a Christian. And doesn't the Bible say something about when you're a Christian, things get better, bigger, brighter? Like, I'm like, come on. Let's go. I got on the bus. I rode home. I got my list. And I got home that night, and everything just seemed to crumble. Oh my like, God, what happened? I had a list. I made you promises. Things were supposed to be different this time. But as soon as I got back home, everything seemed to be exactly the same. My mid-year camp resolutions just very quickly seemed to go out the window. It was different this time, though. I was going home a Christian. What, what's, what's the deal? Everything was different on the inside, but on the outside, everything was still exactly the same at first. And many of this week, you felt what I'm describing. You have felt Jesus. You felt excited and passionate. Has anybody experienced and felt Jesus this week? Can you make some noise if you have? Now, come on! I'm saying, have you experienced a living Jesus? Make some noise about that, right? That's exciting. But tomorrow, it gets quiet, right? The cheers, the applause, the excitement, it gets quiet. And we'll sit by ourselves at our home, and everything that we felt seems to be gone. The noise ends, the week ends, and everything is over. Nobody else cheering you on. Nobody else celebrating. Just you. Just normal life as we know it. And some of you will walk back into broken situations. You'll go back home to situations you shouldn't be in. And the darkness will quickly overtake what you've experienced this week. And everything that you thought was going to be different seems to change. I hope you do have a list. I hope you've been so excited this week that you've written out all these things. God, I promise I'm going to do these things for you. I hope you go home with passion and fire and excitement. What would it look like to go home radically different in pursuit of the mission of making disciples? What would happen to our cities, our schools, our jobs The world would be changed if this room alone went home radically different. Life as we know it could be altered. I pray that you experienced Jesus. I mean, that's what we all want, isn't it? Right now, that's exactly what we all want. And we aren't alone in thinking that. All throughout Scripture, when people encounter God, they want to be different. And then quickly realize pieces of their life aren't lining up. And so they beg and pray, God, change me. We see it over and over. Solomon. He prayed for wisdom. He wanted God to lead his mind. Samson made a mistake in his life, and he asked God for strength to recover from the mistakes that he made. Daniel prayed for his family to know the God that he knew. And many of you, that's your prayer. You'll go home, and your family won't understand this excitement within you. And your prayer is like Daniel's for your family. Gideon asked God for confirmation about a future when he was confused. And that's many of you, I don't know what the future holds. Gideon didn't either, and he begged God. David asked for freedom from sin. He committed very bad sins. And the whole world knew about it. And he prayed and begged for forgiveness. Paul prayed for this thorn in his flesh to be removed. This, this sin that would just kept bothering him, kept attacking him. He prayed it would be removed. The disciples prayed for boldness. They encountered Jesus and prayed to be bold in their faith. Over and over and over in Scripture. We see when people encounter God, they want to be different. And me and you, were the same. So what about tomorrow? What does it look like tomorrow? Tonight I want to give you four thoughts I think will help you tomorrow. So if you've got some space in your books left, I encourage you to take notes and write it down. I don't want you to miss it. The first thing I want you to see is the Spirit is constant. The Spirit is constant. I think some of you think Jesus lives at camp. You're like, man, I love feeling and experience Jesus. We'll see Him next year at crossings. Some of you laugh at that, but... Those of you that laugh, you think Jesus only lives at church. So you experience him maybe on a Sunday, and then you come back the next Sunday, and worship wasn't as good. So you just didn't experience Jesus that time. But then the next week worship was better, so you experienced Jesus again. The spirit is is constant, it is always there. It's with you. Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. You can follow along on the screens if you want to, says, So when they had come together, they asked him, the disciples, this is the disciples talking to Jesus. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. His disciples were nervous. See, they had encountered Jesus. They had spent several years in the presence of Jesus. And he was leaving. And they're like, God, are you going to do something? Are you going to fix our world? Are you going to fix the problems that we live in every day? I mean, are you going to make it better? He said, it's not worth. Don't worry about that. I got my own timing happening right now, but I got something better for you. He said, the Spirit will be with you. Jesus would tell his disciples, it's better for me to leave than to stay. I'm like, hold up, what? If I had the choice between a physical Jesus in flesh with me right now, or the Holy Spirit, I'm Jesus all day. That seems like a no-brainer, but Jesus goes, no, 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 you don't get it. Because when I leave, every single person who knows me, every single person who proclaims me a Savior, will have the same power within them. The Holy Spirit will be with you constantly. It will never leave. He said to the disciples they would be able to do far more once he leaves because they would receive the power. So many of you, like me at your age, will return home and try to work from your own strength. See, you get all excited about this week. It's like, man, I got a lot of good energy. I got a little good vibes going right now. And you get home and you're like, I can change things. No, you can't. You need the Holy Spirit. You think to yourself, no, no, I'm better now. No, we will we'll always battle with this. Well, you need the Holy Spirit. We get confident, right? The better we get, the more confident we get. And we think we can do it, but you will fail. The Holy Spirit that was constantly with you. But remember, it isn't you that is doing the work, it's the Lord in you. Don't be fooled. You've heard me talk several times this week about my own strengths, my own abilities. One of my greatest weaknesses is to believe in myself way too much. Or put myself down way too much, thinking I'm not good enough. This week, or in the summer as I prepared for this this week, I got very nervous. I began to look over the list of pastors that would be here before me. Seminary master's degree from here master's degree from here, doctorate degree from here, lead pastor of this church, pastor for 30, 40 years, pastor for 9,000 years. I'm like, man, (laughs) gum. I'm like, why did they pick me? I'm like this tattooed young punk that wears skinny jeans. Like, I'm not going to be able to do anything. Like, they should have got one of these pastors to come back. The Holy Spirit quickly reminded me, Charlie, it's not you that's going to do the work, and it wasn't them either. It's me. The Holy Spirit quickly reminded me it's not my strengths. It's his. We have a tendency to think that if I practice enough, if I study enough, I can do it. I mean, I I told you guys, Lance asked me about preaching this week 15 months ago. I've been prepping for a long time. I've probably put in 200 hours into preparing sermons for this week. I thought if I worked hard enough, I could do it. And the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't. (laughs) But I can. Charlie, if you'd get out of my way, I could do work. And some of you, that's what you need to realize. When you get home, if you're planning to do it on your own, you'll fail But you got to realize the Holy Spirit is constant. The second thing I urge you to see is that your purpose is constant. Your purpose is constant. We talked a lot about the mission of God this week, to go and make disciples. And that's what Jesus tells them at the end of verse 8. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Guess where that is? Your schools, your jobs, your families, your homes, your neighborhoods. It's all the way in Chicago, in Louisville. It's across the other side of the world. It's everywhere. See, the places that Jesus named, he said, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. That's where the disciples were from. He said, when I leave, you need to go to your cities and make a difference. And not just there, to the ends of the earth. He said, you got a purpose Don't waste it. See, you aren't just changed for you. God wasn't just working in you this week for you. He was working in you so you could work in other people. Don't you see? The Lord wants to use you. Your stories, so many of you have shared your stories with me. It feels like a mess, but I'm telling you, that's your message. The problems, they're overwhelming. And from that prison is your proclamation of a Savior that sets you free. Your situation is where the Savior is most present. The Lord is not going to waste a hurt. So why are you? God wants to do something with it. The mission is very clear. Go and make disciples. God is setting you free so you can go share that with someone else. Your purpose is constant. The the crop is ready for harvest. There are people in your cities that need you to tell them about Jesus. Let's be honest, though. It's a lot harder at home than it is anywhere else. When we're at camp or we're on mission trips, it's so easy to talk about our faith. It's easy to tell you all that Jesus has done. I admitted that this morning. It's easier for me to stand here on this stage and tell hundreds of you about Jesus than it is for me to go home. My family and I just recently moved, but before that, we lived in this neighborhood. There was an older gentleman that lived next door to us for almost three years, and I never one time invited him to go to church with me. Guys, this wasn't like decades ago when I was a sinner. This was like last year. I'm a pastor of a church in my hometown, and I'm scared to invite my neighbor to church. It's harder at home than it is here, but it does not change that our purpose is constant. God has placed you in your neighborhoods for a reason, with your friendships, and your schools, and your jobs for a reason. Don't waste it. Some of my greatest regrets in life are not inviting people to church with me or telling them of Jesus. The third thing you've got to see is that sin is constant. The more I grow in Christ, the more I assumed I'd stop sinning. The more I figured sin would be far from me. And today, I think I sinned just as much as I did years ago. Now, my sin is different. If you looked at my sin today and, and years ago, you might be like, oh, those sins aren't as bad today. But, but here's the reality. Sin is sin. And God wants to remove sin from our life, but sin is constant. It's constantly there and, and bothering us. Romans chapter 6, 12 through 13. And if you need something to read when you get home, read the book of Romans. This stuff is fire. Verse 12, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Your situation will likely look the same tomorrow. You'll go home and the same problems you left there will still be there. Many of you came this week and your relationship has been completely impure but this week you made a promise to God that you're going to go home and live differently. But tomorrow night you're going to get home and that promise is going to be thrown out the window because you're going to put yourself back in the exact same situations. Home alone in a situation you should never be in. The drinking and the drugs that you said you were going to quit doing, you're going to go back home and your secret stash is still going to be there in your bedroom. You swore you were going to quit this week, but the second you get home, there it is. And no one even knows it's there. You're you're back in the same problems. The language that you use, man... So many people, we change the way we speak when we're with other Christians. But when we get by ourselves, the words that come out of our mouth are significantly different. The way you respect your parents tomorrow is not going to reflect the way you talked this week. You said you were going to be different, but the way you talked to them won't show that. Don't you see, just because you have Christ doesn't mean sin goes away. And you have to realize there's a choice here to make. And what will you do about it? Will you change? Some of you need to go home and you need to break up with every friend that you have. You need to get new friends. You wonder why you got problems. You want to see your future? Show me your friends. That's what your future is going to look like. You wonder why you keep doing stupid things because your friends are stupid people. Get new friends. I'm not saying talk bad about them. I'm not saying forget about them completely. Be a light to them. Be an example to them. But stop hanging out with them on a Friday night when you don't want to do those things. You wonder why you make those mistakes when they're still the ones that are there with you. Some of you need to put accountability software on your phone. Covenant Eyes is the best software in the entire world. You wonder why you can't get away from this pornography addiction, but you walk around with it in your pocket and no accountability. And I'm not saying tell your best friend who's got the same struggle as you. Some of you need to tell your parents. And yeah, you might get in trouble at first, but they love you and want to help you. You need to tell your leaders. You need to tell somebody to help you, to look out for you. How's somebody going to help you out a ditch when they're in it with you? I preached a sermon on... Pornography addiction about a year and a half ago. And the the sermons I preach all end up online. And a man I greatly respect that's mentored me for several decades called me the day he heard it. He said, I need some help. I need some accountability. Will you watch out for me? And I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? You're so much farther ahead of me. Like, why would you ask me? And he said, I need someone to watch out for me. For too long I thought I could beat this sin on my own, and I cannot. Will you help me? Some of you need some accountability in your life. Do it. The words you use don't reflect the heart of your Savior. The language that comes out of your mouth. In my student ministry, one of the common things I heard talked about is my church playlist on Spotify. What's your home playlist? How is that different? Because let me be honest with you. I don't care what you listen to. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't bring conviction. I don't care what you talk like or listen to, but Jesus does. So your home playlist and your church playlist, how do they look so different? And again, this is not just you. I want you to know I'm with you. About three months ago, I'm sharing all these stories about all these things I changed three months ago. They're never going to let me come back. About three months ago, Post Malone's got some sick beats. And I loved his music, and I began to talk to my wife about it. And I found myself in this predicament. You see, the words that he says don't represent the heart of my Savior. I'm sure you've heard a parent say at some point, what goes in will come out. You wonder why your mouth is trash. It's because what you put in is trash. The shows that you watch. Yeah, but Friends is so funny. Don't care. <laughs> the, the shows that you're watching, the, the trash that's going in is, is coming out. You need to change what you're listening to, what you're watching. You need a massive shifts in your life. But there's another element at play here, right? It's not just the sin around us. I'll be honest. The easiest changes for me in life were the ones that were around me. Figuring out, okay, I'm not going to listen to this music anymore. I'm going to change my friends. I'm going to change my surroundings. That gets a little easier. But here's what really began to get me is sin's just not on the outside. It's on the inside. Romans 7.15 says, For I do not understand my own actions. For For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul's heart was bleeding. Paul found himself in a position that what he wanted to do wasn't what he was actually doing. See, his insides were battling. His flesh and his spirit were at war. The mark of a true Christian is when your flesh and spirit will wage war on each other till the death. And as long as you live here on this earth, your flesh will be fighting for you to do the wrong things. It's a true fight to the death. Until you take your last breath. It's, it's like that cartoon of a, a devil and an angel on your shoulders. There's some reality to that. Your flesh and your spirit are both within you. And both are trying to push you towards things. And your flesh is constantly pushing you to sin. When I was 18, two months after I gave my life to Christ, I remember coming home one night and I don't know what happened. I don't even remember the exact situation. But I lost my temper. On my mother and father. I blew up. I'm talking like I was throwing things. I punched a hole in a picture frame and glass shattered. I'm screaming and yelling and cussing. Mortal Kombat, finish him. Like, you know, it's like everything's off. It's the worst I've ever spoken to anybody in my entire life. Two months after I gave my life to Christ. And I would go outside just weeping uncontrollably after about 15 minutes of screaming and fighting. And I'd sit outside just weeping. God, what am I doing? This isn't who I want to be. God, I want to be different. I'm trying so hard. Why do I do these things? Why am I always broken? Why am I always flawed? Why why am I so messed up? Why can't I be different? How come life is exactly the same? Why did I even become a Christian if life wasn't going to change? My father would come outside after a few minutes He'd bring his Bible, and he'd sit down with me. Dad, I don't get it. I don't know why I'm this way, Dad. I'm so sorry. I'm I'm a failure. I'm sorry. I can't do it. He'd open up his Bible to Romans 7, and he'd read this verse to me, 715. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Yeah, I get it, Dad. I get it. I'm a failure. My insides are no different. I can't change. I can't be different. God, Paul couldn't change. If Paul can't change, he wrote the Bible. If Paul can't change, how am I going to change? That I can't do it. I can't change. He'd look at me straight. Turn the page, son. Why? So I can read more verses about how I'm a failure? About how Paul failed and so will I? Why would I turn the page? Turn the page, son. Why? I don't get it. Turn the page, son. So eventually I'd flip the page. And I'd read Romans 8, verse 1 through 2. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You see, sin might be now, but freedom in Jesus is forever. See, what my dad was trying to get me to understand is that no matter what I do, there's still freedom in Christ. I still can change. I still can grow. I can be different. See, Romans 8 is talking about your spirit. You're no longer bound to that. Your old you has no power. The old life, your old names, your old identity, it doesn't matter. What matters now is freedom in Christ. That's what matters. And some of you right now, where you're in your life, you need to look up and turn the page. See, because for too long you've had your head down. And all you've ever thought of yourself is what Paul was saying in verse 7, chapter 7. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't be different. To look up, turn the page. Yeah, you don't understand, Charlie. The bad decisions I make, they keep happening. Yeah, I know. Turn the page. See, your identity is not in chapter 7 anymore. Your identity is in chapter 8. There's freedom in Christ Jesus. That's what this is all about. Freedom in Jesus is forever. Who you have been doesn't have to be who you are. In Jesus, there is freedom. But can I tell you something? I, I need you to see this. The habits you are making right now as teenagers with the habits you're trying to break in your mid-twenties. I met a good buddy of mine preached a sermon about that the other day. His name is Chris, and I heard him say that line. And, and while he was preaching, I was holding my, my youngest son. Many of you have seen him around Manila. And as he said those words, I began to weep uncontrollably. I didn't want him to feel what I felt in my life. And I knew most of the pain that I felt, most of the problems I had, the addictions I had to overcome, they started in my teenage years. And See, here's what I need you to see. It's not just me. If you're a leader in this room, if you're past your 20s, right, or into your 20s, and you would say you made habits in your teenage years that you had to break in your 20s, will you stand up? If you did things as a teenager and you felt the pain of them in your 20s, in your adult life, stand up with me. Look around, students. It's not just me. It's not some dude on the stage, it's not some preacher in a room. You guys can sit down. Your leaders agree with what I'm saying. The habits you're making now, you'll be trying to break later. And many of you are saying, "Man, what's the big deal? I'm just a teenager. Who's who am I hurting? What does it matter what me and my girlfriend are doing? What does it matter what websites I look at? What does it matter if I drink a little bit, smoke a little bit, lie a little bit, cheat a little bit? What does it matter? I mean, the camp pastor, he told us all kinds of things he did wrong. And look at him. He's a pastor now. I can get my life together. What if you don't get that chance? What if you don't get the opportunities? See, what you're doing now will bring great pain in your life. I wouldn't wish what I did on anybody. The decisions I made brought great consequence in my life, and I paid for it greatly over and over. And there's still things today that I'm paying for because of decisions I made as a teenager. And when I held my son, I began to pray that he would not feel what I felt. And not just for him, but for you. I sat at the back of this room before I would preach this message. And I would be praying for you. See, I don't want you to walk through what I felt. I don't want you to go home from another camp and do the same things you did last time. That's not how you were meant to live. We weren't meant to live in Romans 7. We're meant to live in Romans 8, in freedom, in Jesus Man, I went to camp after camp after camp, and I would go home, and there would be sin after sin after sin, and I could never seem to get it right. And some of you are saying, well, if, if you couldn't get it right, then what's the point? What does it matter? Here's why it matters. Our four kiddos, three of the four, can walk. And as a parent, you spend quite a bit of time teaching your children to walk. Our first little girl, I remember when we were teaching her, she was about 13 months old and still couldn't walk, and so we were were working with her. I remember we'd sit there on the floor with her for hours and hours and hours, and we'd hold her up. All right, baby girl, come on. Take one step, and she'd stumble and fall immediately. All right, we'd stand her up. Come on, baby girl, take one step. We'd do this for weeks and months. Come on, baby girl, take one step. And then one day she took a step, and fell down and we erupted like it was the best thing in the world we're like you did it you're walking come on let's go we're about to run a marathon I'm so ready we were so excited for what she just did it was like she was seriously an Olympic sprinter in that moment we were so proud she took one tiny step and fell down so we'd pick her up and come on girl do it again and she'd take one and fall and we'd cheer she'd take one more fall we'd cheer And then two, and we cheer, and three, and we cheer, and four, cheer, five, cheer, and we just, we cheer on. I think sometimes we think that God looks at us as we take a step and stumble, and he looks at us and goes, get up. But can you imagine if I looked at my daughter that way? She takes one step and falls. What are you doing? Get up. What's your problem? Don't you know how to do this? We just took one step. Come on. What are you, dumb? Get up. And we think that's how God looks at us, don't we? But what if I go home and make a mistake? You know what happens? Your father will pick you up and say, come on, baby girl, take one more step. Come on, son, take one more step. See, he's not looking at how many times you fall. He's looking at how many steps you're taking. And every time you fall, he's standing there to pick you up and cheering you on like you are the best thing possible. See, I don't want you to go home and think it's okay to keep sinning, but I want you to go home understanding that for freedom, Christ has set you free. And every single time you fall, He's going to pick you up and say, good job, girl. Come on, do it again. Come on, son. Take another one. And it doesn't matter if he sits there with you months or years teaching you to walk. He's going to sit right there with you. Your father's not going to leave you. It's not going to change. See, freedom in Jesus is forever. And here's how I want this to end. What's your last 10%? See, I think oftentimes in life it's easy to give our first 90 Right, the first 90% of anything. If I'm mad at you, here's 90% of the reasons why. If you did something mean to me, here's 90% of what you did. And I think in Christianity, we give about 90%. I know a lot of 90% Christians. For a long time, I was a 90% Christian. But some of you need to give all 10%. See, we started, we talking about coming back home. And some of you are 90% of the way home. And you stand about 10% from the door of your father's house thinking, I don't know, I'm not good enough to go in. I spent too long, too far away. I don't deserve to go in. You need to walk that last 10% and come home. We talked about shame. And some of you, you felt great shame in your life. You felt great brokenness and embarrassment and, and sorrow for the things you've done. And you would begin to confess your sins to somebody. And you would confess 90% of them, though, because there's that 10%. That piece you're holding on to, that's, that sin that, that starts with a line, I've never told anybody this before, and I need to tell you right now. Because see, part of you, your flesh, it wants you to hold on to 10%. Because if you can take home 10% of your sin and keep it in the dark, you can keep doing that. They don't know about that one thing. But quickly, what will happen is that 10% will take over and become 100% of your life again. You need to tell somebody everything. You need to look at your leader and say, I told you almost everything. Here's the last piece and share it. Don't leave here and I've not shared everything. Some of you need to feel the freedom of Jesus. You've worked so hard in your life, you've tried so hard to be a good Christian. And No matter how hard you work, you're only 90% satisfied. You know why? Because you can't work your way there. Only the freedom of Jesus can get you there. Only the price He paid on the cross for your sins will get you there. Only His death, burial, and resurrection can get you there. And you need to understand that freedom in Jesus requires you giving everything to Him. Not 90%, 100%. My heart breaks for many of you. Some of you have shared stories with me of trauma that you feel in your life from brokenness in your family the way you've been treated looked at talked to the things that you've done the shame that you feel and you're overcome with anxiety and depression and, and you you're like you don't need another doctor or prescription you need the great physician Jesus to heal your mind to speak to you see you're not alone you're not by yourself Everybody in this room at some point had to make that decision to cross that line and be 100% in. And I don't want any of you to leave this place before you're 100% there. Some of you have waited all week, and tonight you need to give your life to Christ. You can ask questions. Keep asking your questions. You need to give your life to Christ. You need to confess your sins to somebody. You need to find some freedom. And here's what I want you to do. Before you leave this room... I want you to tell your leader. Because see, what will happen is we'll worship, and you'll walk from here to your checkpoint. And in that short walk, the devil will convince you to keep your mouth shut. Stay at 90. Don't go 100. So I, don't even leave this room. When the song starts, I want you to look down the aisle at your leader and just give him the 10 sign. Got 10% left. Make eye contact, 10% left. And just let him know. That way your leader can come ask you, hey, what's up? What's your 10? How can, what can I do for you? I'm telling you, if you don't tell them before you leave this room, you will not tell them. Look down the aisle. I got 10% left. Don't leave this room. Don't do that. Before you leave here, tell somebody. Let's pray together. Father God, we need you. God, we are broken without you. We are hopeless without you. God, as humans and flesh, we hold on to so much, thinking we can fix our problems, we can earn our way in, thinking that tomorrow we can make our lives better if we try hard enough, but God, we can't, we need you, God, I pray that no one would leave this room holding on to 10%, leader, student, summer missionary, God, I don't care. Whatever our 10% is left, God, I pray that we would get it out. God, we know you long to make people whole. Not 90%, 100%. God, I pray you'd give courage to people to share. Boldness to look their leader in the eye and say, I got 10% left. God, don't let us leave here without telling someone. God, I pray that the Satan would be nowhere near here. He wouldn't be in our minds. He wouldn't try to convince us of anything. God, we are not alone. We know that we aren't isolated. We have people around us who love us and care for us and long to see us know You. God, do not let anybody leave this room before they share their ten percent. God, thank you so much for Your Son. Thank you for the price He paid on the cross for our sins so that we could be 100% with you. God, we love you so much, and you love us so much more. In Christ's name we pray, amen.